Welcome to the South Plains Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. I still remember being amazed reading this stat when it says the average person today meets as many people in one year as our grandparents met their entire lifetime. And yet being in proximity to somebody doesn't mean that you're close to someone. And just because you're near someone doesn't mean you know them well. We are connected by cell phones and social media and all kinds of digital things. But while we are connected, we are also disconnected. You can Google someone or Facebook stalk them and learn all about them. But you don't know them. Almost nobody is alone today, but many are lonely. Isolation is a dangerous thing, and I'm not talking about if you have to be isolated for COVID like I was last week or some other health concern, but it's not helpful. It's not helpful to be away from people, even even if you have to be. Going without food and water, we understand, kills the body. But going without relationships kills the mind and spirit. So we need friends. You need friends. What we learn from God is what we just sang about earlier, that everything good is a gift from God. And if you have a good friend, ultimately that is a gift from God. Jesus is the perfect example of a friend, and in fact, he's also the perfect friend. Jesus made friends with a lot of different people, surprising people. (laughs) And, and, And other people didn't think he was hanging out with the right people. He shouldn't be hanging out with such people. In fact, Luke records Jesus telling those who thought that, The son of man feasts and drinks, and you say, he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. And he's responding to them because, well, because they're agitated about his circle of friends. Who were his friends? Well, they were. They were were sinners, and Zacchaeus, there was the woman at the well, there was the tax collectors, there were drunkards, there were outcasts, there were lepers. All of these people friends of Jesus, which drives us to ask, what is Jesus's definition of friendship? And we find it in John 15. So you've had your Bibles open earlier to John. Would you open them again to John chapter 15 and follow along as I, as I read from beginning in verse 12, John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment. Love each other the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything that the Father has told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you, and I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask using my name. 
This is my command. Love each other. I think one of the most important things to latch on to here is that God does not expect from us mechanical change. He doesn't expect our lives just to click into gear and just mechanically change like this. He isn't, and he isn't going to force you into being a moral agent. And he doesn't want to put a chip in your brain and, and to make you do that, you know. Ultimately, ultimately, God's not going to force you into a relationship with him. What God does desire is organic change in our lives where we want to worship him, where we want to please him, where we want to be with him. So God isn't just a commander. He did have a commandment to love one another, but he's not just a commander. He's, he's also our friend. We are his friends, and so we should follow him. And that's what Jesus is saying. You're not just my servants, you're my friends. So God's goal is not one of forced compliance, but rather a relationship that's rooted in love. To be saved, we have to recognize Christ as King. We have to confess Him as Lord of our lives. We must submit to His sovereignty. But we must also give over all of ourselves to Him as Savior. You know, we use, we kind of throw it around, uh, the phrase, Lord and Savior, Lord and Savior, Lord and Savior. What, what are we talking about? Well, Jesus has the power to rescue us as Lord King, but He saves us through His humility on the cross as Savior. He gave Himself up. He gave up His life. What we just celebrated, his body, his blood, his life, he gave it up for us. And so he proves his relationship for us. And we trust him as Savior, submitting in him as Lord, and enjoying him as friend. Now the context of John 15 is as mentioned earlier, is the evening before his death. He's preparing his disciples for what's to come by letting them know, you, you must give all for me. Much as, much as Mary did. Remember in Luke 1, her reply was, I am the Lord's servant, let it be to me as you say. But Jesus brings his disciples in close, and he says, yes, you're to follow me, to obey me, but you are also my friends. The king wants a relationship with you. And so he proves that love. No greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And that's what Jesus do, does. He dies for us. So we don't have to choose between King Jesus and friend Jesus. <laughs> He's both. He remains with us through the highs and the lows he draws near to us in our suffering. He picks us up when we, when we stumble. He tugs at us when we're wandering away. And frankly, he'll smack some sense into us when we're sinning too. Because that's what a friend does. 
Even though Jesus was a friend of sinners, that didn't mean he condoned their sin. The Pharisees and scribes didn't like the fact that he was befriending sinners, but he makes it very clear to them in Luke 5, verse 30. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And he, wanted, he wants for us to be forgiven. He wants for us to be rescued, to be healed, to be redeemed. And he didn't want them to keep sinning, but he wanted them to find salvation and him as the Savior. So the truth is Jesus was not some easygoing hippie who just wanted to live and let live. He wasn't a relativist. He was there to show people the way to find salvation, redemption, hope and healing. And any attempt to use these passages as justification for bad behavior or for hanging out with the wrong crowd is not workable. You befriend others not to participate in their bad behavior, but rather to share the good news of God's love for them. Now, I have to admit, at this point in the message, it's tempting for me to to start thinking about other people. Maybe that's you, I don't know. And and start uh, thinking about how they need to be better friends. But this is really about me. I need to be a better friend. And so let's flip this around and think about this with some I will statements, okay? And we'll look to the sage uh, wisdom of Proverbs to help us with this. First of all, to be a good friend, I, I will be consistently present. And we have hundreds of, of interactions with people every day where we we are present with people, but, but most people are in your life. Let's just be honest here. Most people are in your life to be useful to you. And the truth is we need to be useful to each other. It's not a bad thing. If you may drive up to get some coffee and you talk to one of those people at the speaker, they're very friendly. They know you. They, they, you have a light conversation, and, and, and then you pull up to another window, and they know your name. I know they got the app there looking at it. But anyway, they know your name. And they, they have your coffee ready for you, right? Or, or you go in for the coffee. And when they see you coming in, they call you by name. And they got your coffee waiting for you, or whatever your drink is. And it's already poured and everything. Now, that's a lot. That's the way a lot of our interactions with people are. Normal, ordinary life, things going about life. But that's not true friendship. A true friend is there for you even when you're the most useless to them. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times. A brother is born for difficult times. The phrase at all times means you're there consistently with them. There is more There's more to it than simply being useful. There's also being loyal, being trustworthy. To be a good friend, I will be loyal and trustworthy. Proverbs 18.24, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. 
or may, may say one who has many friends and the implication is unreliable. That's how, how you can have many and come to ruin. Because these are friends in name only. You say, I got friends. Let me, I got a list here. I got this app. <laughs> how many friends do I have? Um, yeah, that's, that's exactly what it's talking about. That's not your true friends. That's, that's the crowd. That's group. People who come and go, the crowd that's just there, they may be around you. They may be kind to you. They may call you by name, but they are not your real friends. At some point, some of them might even harm you. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. See, there is this true friend who's resolved to be your friend, who's even sacrificially become your friend, a, a friend who protects, a friend who protects your time, a, who protects you, who protects your reputation, protects your family, and will default to believing you even when others don't. But they will also call you out if you're wrong. There are plenty who tell the truth, but I don't know that I, I trust them all. So to be a good friend, I will be honest. A true friend tells you the truth, even, even if it hurts. And if they only tell you what you want to hear, then they may just be using you for something. Or you may be using them for a false sense of self-assurance. Proverbs 27, 6, wounds from a sincere friend can be trusted. They are better than many kisses from an adversary. The, the, the wound means they're not afraid to tell you something that hurts if, if it will be helpful. I think that's a big if. If it will be helpful. And you may have had to do that for others. It fits with Paul's instructions to the Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 29, when he says, to say only what is helpful for building up others. Pain can mean progress if it comes from a friend. Now, now, saying, having said that, that doesn't mean you can just, yeah, I'm just going to dig in. You're my friend. I'm going to really dig in. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean you, you do it without being sensitive. To be a good friend, I'll, I will be sensitive. Not, not just there, not just loyal, not just true, but also, also caring and kind. Proverbs 26, 17 through 19. Interfering in someone else's argument is as foolish as yanking a dog's ears. Just as damaging as a madman shooting a deadly weapon is someone who lies to a friend and then says, ah, I was, I was only joking. I was just joking. Have you ever passed by? Have you ever passed by and listened in on somebody else's rant, somebody else's argument on Facebook or something such as that? And said, Oh, I just gotta jump into this. Look, stay out of it. Stay out of it. A person who meddles in something 
is like somebody yanking on a dog's ears. Go home and try that. I don't know. I got a poodle. Yanking on his ears. I don't think that's the picture. I, I, I think the picture's a pit bull. A dog you don't know. And you just decide, that dog's got cute ears. I'm going to yank on him. He's going to yank on you. Uh, it's just not smart, is it? Well, the truth is, the reason dogs don't like you yanking on their ears is it hurts. And insensitivity hurts. You should not throw out verbal stabs and jabs and then retract them claiming, ah, oh, it was just a joke. It was just a joke. You shouldn't do that. You don't have to say it. You don't have to post it. You don't have to tweet it. You don't have to comment on it. You don't have to act passively aggressive about it. Just simply stay out of it. When the Proverbs talk about deceiving your neighbor, did you notice it's exactly the opposite of the second greatest command? Don't deceive your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. And, you might, and I don't remember where I first read this, but it really stuck with me. That for every one negative comment you make, it weighs the same as a hundred positive comments. One negative, a hundred positive. Well, I said something bad, but I said something nice. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's not working. They weigh the same. For every piece of negativity out there, you need 100 pieces of encouragement to equal it out. So, so be careful, be sensitive about what you say. Most importantly, Jesus will never fail you as a friend. Jesus is the friend who sticks closer than a brother, Proverbs 18, 24. And maybe you see it closest in a story that Jesus told, a parable Jesus told about a son that demanded his inheritance from his father, which is a terrible thing to do. Before he died, he was nowhere near dying, but he demanded his inheritance. He wanted it now. The story's in Luke 15. You know that. And his dad didn't have to, but amazingly, his dad grants the request. And the son takes his inheritance, all that money, and he goes right out, and he squanders it. He prodigals it. That's where the word comes from. But he had a lot of friends. He had a lot of friends. All the people around him were there. But of course, they were there because he had money. And when the money ran out, well, the friends also went away. And eventually, he gets work doing the only thing he can, which is feeding pigs. And he's desperately thinking, I wish... I could eat that. When he begins to think rationally, his thoughts turn back to his home. And he begins to think, maybe I should just go home and apologize and ask to be a servant because servants are treated much better there. The son comes home. The dad sees him and runs to him and welcomes him, open-armed. 
but his older brother doesn't welcome him, doesn't want him to come home. In fact, his older brother rejects him because he was a prodigal. He spent all of it, squandered it, lavishly, recklessly threw it away. You know, if you look in that story, the Bible doesn't call that the prodigal son. We call it that. And actually, maybe a better title for that story would be one suggested, I think, by Tim Keller, Prodigal God. Because actually, in the story, God spends it all. God spends it all in order to welcome us home. He gave it all, his one and only son. Whose responsibility was it to go after the younger son in the story? Well, in that culture, it was the older brother. That was his job to, to help reinstate the younger. Forgiveness always comes with a price. And this is an older brother who is not willing to pay the price and forgive. However, there is someone willing to pay and forgive. And that's your true older brother, Jesus. In the story, everyone is wrong, both young and old. In the story, everyone is loved, both young and old, both right and wrong or this way or that way. Everyone, however, is called to recognize that truth and change. The truth is Jesus loves you, paid the price for you, dearly hopes to forgive you, for you to accept that. And if you will, he'll never reject you, never let you go. And we're going to confirm that in the song we sing. And if we need to talk, come on, let's talk. If we need to do something, let's do that. If we can pray with you, we'll want to pray with you. That's why we're here. But let's stand together and sing about that friend, that brother. Thanks for listening. To stay up to date on news and other events, visit southplains.org. We also extend special thanks to our countless volunteers who make all of our ministries possible. And remember, engage, lead, and celebrate others.